Hello, and welcome to episode one of You Only Got In Because You're Blank, Debunking Affirmative Accidents. Today, we'll be unpacking the history of affirmative action and its effects on BIPOC communities. My name is Ronaldo Aguilera. I'm a fourth-year sociology student at UCLA, and I'm joined by my peers, Jocelyn and Rachel. Hello, everyone. My name is Jocelyn Hernandez-Salome. I am a fourth-year student at UCLA majoring in sociology and Chicano, Chicana, and Central American studies with a minor in education studies. Hi everyone, my name is Rachel Regalado and I'm a third year student double majoring in sociology and Chicanx and Central American studies here at UCLA as well. And today we'll be discussing affirmative action and how it is portrayed. Our goal for the podcast is to paint a picture of affirmative action and its implications for students of color. We hope that through our analysis and storytelling of personal narratives, we can accurately portray the realities of what it's like to be a person of color in a university. Hopefully, this podcast can serve as an empowerment tool for folks who fear that their achievements will be discredited at the expense of the statement, you only got in here because of affirmative action. Is affirmative action. Affirmative action basically refers to a set of policies and practice practices that were set up by the government in order to increase underrepresented communities in particular areas. So this means that within these areas, people can take into consideration race, ethnicity, into how they employ their either like employees or within universities, how they deal with their admissions. Um, So in 1996, this prop was actually denied. So this means that um, employments and public contracting and public education cannot use race and ethnicity in terms of like their admissions. Um, So today we'll be talking about public education specifically and within universities what they were trying to do is basically amend the underrepresentation of BIPOC students within universities and basically create a level playing field for those who do not have as many opportunities. So an example of this is that in public schools with who are not as funded they have very low resources. Meanwhile in public schools that are very much funded within like richer areas um, they have a lot of resources. So in our own personal experiences, for example, I went to a low-income, primarily Black, Latino student population um, high school that was, like, very underfunded, and we had about 2,000 students um, enrolled, and we had about four counselors available to all of us, and it was very difficult to navigate because everyone needed to see a counselor, had a counselor, but had very limited schedules, and especially for seniors who were trying to figure out, like, how to fill out their FAFSA and everything, it was really hard to get in touch with a counselor. And so it ended up unmotivating a lot of people. Um, I don't know if y'all have also had like similar experiences within this, like either you, Jocelyn, or Ronaldo, or, like if you want to talk about any type of like within your own like call, um, public education experience. Yeah, so it's interesting because when thinking about um, you know, the opportunities presented at, um, at high schools, and how low-income areas don't necessarily have those resources, I kind of had somewhat of a flipped experience where I attended a predominantly white high school, and I would get bused into this affluent neighborhood. However, because it was predominantly white, in my opinion, um, it was assumed that everybody knew the college application process. It was assumed that everybody 
had an idea of how to meet these A through G requirements to fill out an application um, that in the two years of my stay at that high school, I only met my counselor once and it was just to plan my future schedule. Um, There wasn't necessarily conversations with me personally or really any other student of color about how they would, you know, maneuver their um, their high school classes to to create like a, a good application for college. So I think that definitely it kind of played a reverse of, you know, of resources where they assumed that everybody was well off, that everybody had parents who went to college, that everybody had parents who knew the application process where, you know, the help would be received at home. And so I actually ended up having to move to my neighborhood high school where, um, you know, they understood that all of our experiences were different and um, definitely much more complex than that. Um, and thankfully, I was able to, you know, receive community resources, not necessarily um, in my high school, but definitely community. So that's my experience. I don't know, Ronaldo, you have something to add? Yeah, well, just to comment on your experience first, I wanted to ask you if if you went to the predominantly white high school because you think it give you better chances of getting into college. You know what the sad thing is that the answer to that question is yes. I felt like, um, you know, and I feel like it has to do a lot with the internalization of, you know, what my community was thought to be perceived by people. Um, So I definitely think that, you know, looking back, it was just like, okay, you know, it's a better school. It's in a better neighborhood. I should be getting better resources, better classes. Um, But it literally turned out something else. So it definitely was, you know, based on the internalization of what I believed was good, what I believed would be better for me. But in reality, it just ended up being. I found that that white schools, predominantly white schools, have smaller enrollments. They have more funding. And they have more fully accredited teachers. So if you mix all that together, it it's definitely gives you more chances of prepare of producing college ready students. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's just very unfortunate because some of these factors like property taxes and stuff like that are things that are completely out of students' control and shouldn't dictate their um, their future. Um, which brings me to why hasn't affirmative action passed? And I think we definitely see that today, um, this year. Yeah, it's something that we actually saw on the 2020 election proposition. Um, so it was actually Prop 16, and it attempted to bring back affirmative action and allow um, employments and universities to consider race and ethnicity in their like admissions process but it was not passed this year actually and it only goes to show how stagnant the opinions and perceptions of affirmative action have stayed within the last like 24 years literally um and it just you know it sucks that we can't see affirmative action be placed again because it really only creates a level playing field and gives people fair chances and opportunities um but we can go into why it didn't pass, actually. So um, I think a lot of people 
believe that it creates discrimination against white people. Um, people think universities should be colorblind. Um, and people also believe that like students will get in anyway if they're good, like if they have a good application. Um, but all of these can be like debunked, which is like what we're going to do right now. Um, so like universe in the terms of like the people's opinions that universities should be colorblind, um, taking a colorblind approach actually ignores the institutional and systemic barriers against these groups of minorities. Um, and we can also credit Eduardo Bonilla Silva in um, Racism Without Racist when he talks about colorblind racism and how this just completely takes the blame out of the real structural barriers that, um, that are affecting students. Um, and people like aren't taking the right messages away from it. They think that, oh, a student will get in if they're like already good, if they have good scores. But in reality, like underfunded schools means there's little opportunities for like extracurricular activities, for AP classes. Um, and in comparison with other students, they like don't have as many AP classes, which means that they won't have a, as high of a GPA um, and they'll be seen as less competitive. So it really isn't the fault of a student. It's just the how schools are underfunded, how like we were talking about earlier. Um, and it really just like people don't realize that we're just trying to give more opportunities for like black and Latino students who are under-resourced within inter inner city schools. Um, and it just really like sucks that people can't see that and think that we should just take a colorblind approach because it really just ignores everything that right. should be fixed. I definitely think that the abstract liberalism concept um, really gets to the point of why affirmative action didn't pass. And I think it definitely has to do with the fact that, you know, it, it just assumes that everybody has had the same opportunities. And it's I feel like it's backwards because... I think that's what affirmative action is getting at, you know, highlighting that that's not the case at all. So um, I think it's very, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous approach um, to, to kind of put the, you know, put the blame on the individual as if there aren't entire systems or premeditated policies, laws um, that work to disadvantage certain groups. Um, so it's just, extremely unfortunate and I hope that we can move past this narrative that really shames affirmative action and paints it as you know unfair towards white students um, because I feel like that's definitely not the point that we're trying to get at um, but also I think that another issue is the fact of the fact of wording of the props um, because I definitely think that, mm -hmm. you know, if you read the prop, it's very, it's very wordy in a sense of like, it doesn't necessarily convey what it would mean for students of color. Um, so if the wording is complicated, you know, constituents don't understand what that means or may interpret it the wrong way, which can also be harmful. And, you know, this is just another way of like thinking of, was this premeditated in a sense of, is this wordy? Is this not clear so that it can't pass? Or is this, is this put in the simplest form, you know? And I, I definitely think that it, it, it's not. And that's also dangerous. But yeah. So there's a, 
a journal article published. Um, it's a study by Carol Tyson and Lumas. And what they do is they interview UC Berkeley alumni that were actually affirmative action students when it was actually a policy in place. And in in their stories, they kind of talk about how they didn't come from from wealthy neighborhoods, how they didn't, their high schools weren't the best performing, how they weren't the best performing. You know, if you look at their GPAs, they some of the averages were, I think it was about 3.1, 3.2. And then, you know, that's not a, a stellar GPA. But what they do bring to the table, well, this is what the study found, is is they bring adversity and they have, a, I guess, a drive to, give back to the community and and that was that was part of the the reason they were admitted and you know the study kind of interviews the the alumni and there's there's themes that every alumni keeps recurring and then one of them was was i guess the need to to build community inside inside uh, colleges and universities and basically they were saying that it was just nice to see, you know, other people of color inside the university. And, and in that way, they kind of create their own, their own knowledge. You know, they, they kind of tell each other like, Hey, this is where you get your classes or, Hey, don't take this teacher because he's kind of hard, things like that. And even that goes a really long way. Cut. That's good. Was that good? Or So far we've taken a look at, pre-college related things such as SAT prep and lack of resources like a funding in high schools however I definitely think that it does not stop there college is just a continuation of those same disparities just framed differently um, for example in the privileged poor by Anthony Abraham Jack one of their participants Elise puts this thought very nicely Um, They say, and I quote, I always feel lucky to be here. I always feel that I don't belong. It's hard to believe I deserve it the way other people do, end quote. And I just think about what does this tell us? What does this showcase? Um, And I've definitely noticed a pattern of students of color constantly reducing their college experience, their college acceptances to pure luck. Speaking for myself, at least, I believe it has a lot to do with how we, or at least I, have internalized society's perception of the presence of students of color and Black students on, on college campuses, especially um, at elite colleges. Um, same way. I mean, yeah, like being a person of color within like this institution has really hit me hard with like imposter syndrome. So just kind of feeling like my admissions was an accident and like that I actually don't belong here um and like I don't think it's really talked about like how much of a toll it takes on you um academically emotionally physically I guess um and I know that a lot of people that I've talked to have experienced this and it's usually always people of color just because they come from under-resourced schools schools that like didn't prepare them for this and it's just really hard to then like adjust yourself to kind of believe that you do belong here. And then it goes back to like, then people saying like, I'm so lucky to be here, like how you had mentioned earlier, but I think it's just kind of um, a work in progress constantly. 
of trying to like credit yourself and not discredit mm-hmm. um, your own achievements and like what you can bring to the table. Personally, I don't feel like I don't belong at at a at a, at a top university, and I'm not reminded that I'm a minority until I talk to a white person on campus. Like <laughs> so, some of them, not some, you know, some, I've had instances where like some guy tried to talk to me like like I'm like a Mexican diplomat and he wanted me to tell him all about Mexican culture and I'm like, like you're not the spokesperson of like, the I'm Mexican impressed. community yeah <laughs> yeah bro like I'm eating eggs right now what are you <laughs> what are you saying but but yeah I think um that that's when I'm reminded that I'm a minority like definitely and I think as a society we have to rethink how there are other forms of affirmative action taking place in the sense of um, legacy admins, you know? Like, it's like you have rich, (laughs) predominantly white families who attend these elite universities, or it doesn't even have to be elite, just universities in general, and they make donations, and somehow that adds brownie points to their children's application. You know, why don't we question that? Why is that acceptable? Why is that something that's overlooked and not necessarily analyzed through this problematic perspective of this is so unfair? So it's kind of interesting to think that we have all questioned how we got here, our achievements, and our overall presence here at UCLA, but none of us are affirmative action students. And this is pretty much just a call out to anybody listening, like high schoolers, um, anyone applying to a college or university that just know that you won't be an affirmative action student. You do belong and all of your experiences are valid. By holding on to the false notion that your acceptance was solely based on fulfilling a university's diversity requirement, you're not honoring your merit, your struggles, and your accomplishments. With that being said, this is a reminder to Black, Indigenous, and students of color that your merit, experiences, and struggles all work cohesively to validate your presence in college campuses. Your presence is not, to meet a racial quota. It is because you deserve every bit of success and consideration at these institutions. We hope that this podcast was informative and related. for tuning in we hope you have a great day and remember tough times never last but tough people always do